Hey everyone, welcome to The Restless Ones. I'm Jonathan Strickland. As always, my focus is on exploring the intersection of technology and business by having conversations with the most forward-thinking leaders. Throughout my career, I've covered everything from massive parallel processing to advanced robotics, but what truly inspires me are the stories of innovation and transformation. In this season, we'll explore technologies like flexible applications, more capable devices, and advanced networking like 5G that are helping business leaders act on their big ideas quickly and unlock mission-critical outcomes. What's become clear to us after three seasons is that we can't change tomorrow by deploying solutions of the past. So get ready to be inspired and learn from the best. Today, our guest is Dr. Peter Fleischut. Group Senior Vice President and Chief Information and Transformation Officer at New York Presbyterian Hospital. Peter's background is as an anesthesiologist, but over the course of his career, he has sought new ways to create positive change in the healthcare industry, from solving challenges facing administration to improving patient experiences and quality of life. It's no small task, and Peter recognizes that technology has an important part to play. And I got a peek at how some cutting-edge and maturing technologies are poised to change everything in healthcare. But before I get carried away with all the tech, I wanted to learn more about Peter himself. Peter, I want to thank you for joining us today for this conversation. Welcome to The Restless Ones. Jonathan, thank you very much for having me here today. I really appreciate it. I'm really excited about the topics we're going to get into today. And to start off, I would like to hear about how your career path in medicine led to you becoming Chief Information and Transformation Officer for New York Presbyterian Hospital. Jonathan, way back when, I always knew that I wanted to take care of patients. And I trained in a specialty that allowed me to take care of a patient, one patient at a time. And over the evolution of my career, I ended up taking care of those patients when I used to take care of liver transplant patients getting surgery. I then started taking and overseeing multiple patients with multiple care teams. I then ended up, frankly, overseeing our operating rooms when we used to run 85 locations in a day. And that's led me to my current role. I love that answer. I love starting from the desire to help and then figuring out how to help more people over time. Out of curiosity, when you're talking with someone in a casual setting and they ask, what do you do for a living? How do you actually describe what your job is to someone? Well, first and foremost, I get to work with the most amazing people in the world. I have an unbelievable team where I oversee the management and the operations of IT, lab operations, pharmacy operations, data analytics, and artificial intelligence. And we are really the backbone of a lot of the system to help the doctors, the nurses, the patients, and the providers as they go through their care. And that really encompasses my day-to-day responsibilities. Incredible. And you sort of touched on this, but can you talk a little bit more about how your clinical experience as an anesthesiologist guided the way you think both like a patient and a provider, that experience of helping people one-on-one, how that shapes your approach in your current role? So a lot of people don't know, but anesthesiologists are uniquely positioned all throughout the health system. 
When I trained to be an anesthesiologist, I got the exposure of working in an outpatient area as a pain provider. I got the opportunity to work in operating rooms, in ICUs, in critical care. I got to be in uh, various radiology areas, endoscopy suites, catheterization labs. And you really end up working in many, many different parts of the system, one. From a patient perspective, it's a specialty that I feel is kind of behind the scenes to help support the patient get safely through their experience. And it's heavily reliant on technology, but it's also very multidisciplinary in its nature. And that really helped set me up for success. And I imagine as an anesthesiologist and your relationship to patients, a lot of your work also would come in the form of communication and to make certain that you're able to communicate with peers, with patients, uh, what you're doing, why the approach is the way it is. And I see that as a key element in the role of technology in healthcare as well. The ability to be able to communicate the purpose of that tech in a way where everyone involved in the discussion, whether it's C-suite executives or it's the patient in the hospital room, that they understand the role that is playing and how it supports the overall mission of overseeing health for patients. I couldn't agree more. You're spot on. Communication is critical to our front lines all the way to our board. And getting the right amount of information to the right amount of people is essential. I've also found, as you mentioned, technology has transformed that landscape. Mm -hmm. The sheer amount of connectivity that exists amongst our employees and amongst our patients is unprecedented. And it really enables what I think is the digital transformation. The connectivity and the speed at which people get information today is astronomically faster than they have in the past. And things like, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, ChatGPT will fundamentally and is fundamentally changing information delivery, the ability to be answering questions. The challenge as a provider is we've got to get the right information to our patients and it needs to be high quality and it needs to be secure and it needs to be protected. So I see my job in a couple ways to further that transformation, but to do it in a secure and in a high quality way. Connectivity is one of those technologies that enables everything else. So one thing I wanted to ask you about is, can you describe your efforts to reduce friction in the patient experience using connectivity? Like how has connectivity changed that process for the average patient? Great question. Let me set a baseline. Three years ago, we were on nine different electronic records. And that was one part of how disconnected we were at the time. But it wasn't just there. We also had 10,000 order sets. And these are the care pathways that the doctors would be using to care for our patients. We also had what's called five formularies. Those are the drug catalogs of all the drugs that the doctors would use, and there was five of them. One of the efforts we took on with our 10,000 doctors at Wild Cornell and Columbia was how do we standardize all that work so we go from 10,000 to 1,000 pathways, go from five drug catalogs to one. And we've done that transformation 
most other systems have done it, but we've done it in a way where we went to one instance and one connected system across our whole health system of 11 hospitals. And these are academic hospitals, they're small and large community hospitals. And so that connectivity and the process by which we went through fundamentally changed our operations. It fundamentally changed how we care for patients. Now, we're probably in the second of nine innings right now. We know we need to go even further. It's not easy for a patient to interact with the system. There's thousands of phone numbers to call. There's maybe multiple mobile apps. There's multiple pieces of education. There's multiple options to either schedule yourself or to call or to deal with a chatbot. And I look at our opportunity is to streamline that. We got to reduce the friction so that there's one number to call. There's an ability to do it self-service. To me, that's just foundational. But then you layer on some of the more advanced NLP models, you can start to even see how you can be able to get that into a care pathway and make it even easier for patients so that you can integrate it with the education and the scheduling and the prescriptions. And that type of digital care model is ultimately going to get us to higher level care, much more productive, much more efficient, and allow not only patients to be happier, but allow providers to be able to operate at the top of their license. I love that and the implication that through the implementation of technology, you're removing barriers that patients might run into otherwise that could even potentially discourage them from seeking care that would otherwise be transformational in their lives. People who genuinely need those services are able to get them with as few bottlenecks and pain points along the way as possible. And anything that makes that smoother is a huge benefit. If it's okay, I'd love to give one other example. Sure. A significant majority of our patients go through processes to see a provider and they choose to give a patient what's called a specialty pharmaceutical. Specialty pharmaceuticals are very high cost. They're hard to get a hold of. They're hard to deliver. They're very difficult to administer. And any patient who's had to go through one of these processes knows how fragmented it is. It's not easy to find the drugs. It's not easy to get them in their home. They're expensive. There's not good follow-up. By using technology and a better care model, we've been able to make it so that we could have liaisons working side-by-side with our doctors, They can be able to look and identify a patient's insurance and their benefits to get them the right structure so they have the right co-pays. We've been able to integrate into our electronic system so that we can get the drugs ordered seamlessly and make it so that patients normally would get these drugs within two to three weeks. We get to them within two days. We have follow-up processes with clinical pharmacologists and pharmacists that are following up with the patients to be able to help them so that if they happen to be taking something like an oral chemo, They not only are more educated about it, they know what to do. And if they're getting side effects, they don't have to come back in through the ED. They can take care of it in their home. That type of care model transformation using data and people has led us to having a system where our net promoter score of that care model is around 80. Patients absolutely love it. It's thoughtful. And to your point, it also helps the doctors 
prior authorizations is a process our doctors have to go through to get approval to get patients their medications. We've now been able to enable that with this care team so the doctors don't have to be the one doing the prior authorizations. And this whole model has led to better quality, a better patient experience, and overall a better experience. When I was doing research before speaking with you, one of the topics I came across was a collaboration with Royal Phillips. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and how New York Presbyterian incorporated Phillips technology for things like remote monitoring and how that system works, both from the provider side and from the patient side. The telemedicine was a key component to what we needed to do for our patients. We were very early on in the journey. At the time, I think then we did about 1,000 visits in a year. And then the next year, we did about 10,000 visits. Wow. Which at the time, we thought was just unbelievable. The year after that, we did 250,000 visits and then 500,000 visits, and it started to compound. Now, to say that today is not as much of an achievement because we all know when COVID started, and in 2020, we did 1.3 million visits. But at the time, we felt not only if you can provide the video interaction and the expert physician, what other things need to be there like remote monitoring and being able to provide the ability to get blood pressure, heart rate, oxygen level. And doing that with Philips was transformational. As an example, it enabled a whole team of physician assistants with the doctors that remotely monitor patients that are all in an evolution in severity of heart failure. So a patient could be at home, be able to check their vitals based on those results. It goes to a central team and they can help advise and guide them with various pathways as to when it's appropriate for them to come in or when it's appropriate to stay at home. This will only compound, and it fundamentally enabled us to take care of patients better in the home than we were ever able to do in the past. And again, it gets back to how connectivity enables all of this to happen. Obviously, without the connectivity piece in place, you can't do this. I'm curious, do you foresee technologies such as you know the fact that we're now seeing low latency, high bandwidth, wireless connectivity, do you see that playing a, a growing important role in the healthcare sector as it opens up the opportunity to do things that in the past would have just been unthinkable? I think in short, yes. I feel that's essential. And now ultimately, 5G and some of the connectivity will be needed. We'll definitely need that advancing technology as we start to use more multimodal data. We currently primarily use data from our electronic health record, which ends up to be a lot of numerical data. But I think the true value is an architecture that enables multimodal data. What I mean by that is data cores of all the imaging that's done, data cores of all the pathology, all the genomics, all of the live physiologic streaming data, all the exposome data. As we start to develop models using multimodal data, we're going to need more and more advanced technologies in terms of bandwidth and 5G connectivity to be able to run those models. So eventually we'll get to a point of needing them. Yeah, that to me is one of those dream applications of the technology. The ability to do things like move huge 
packages of data in the form of medical imaging rapidly between points that don't require a physical connection. It's almost magical in how fast it moves. I love technology in all its forms, but when I'm starting to talk about technology and its potential to impact people's lives and on the back end, make things smoother, to me, that's just a beautiful story. Being able to improve the quality on the back end is just as important in order to ensure that that healthcare quality is present for the patients. I couldn't agree more. What role is AI playing right now in medicine and where do you see it going in the near future? I see it in two major areas. I think it can be used to reduce friction for our patients and providers in very seamless ways. Better care navigation, call center automation, prior authorization approvals, things that we can do to streamline the front end processes. Those will have a direct benefit. They will definitely reduce that burden of disease. But ultimately, I think there's a bigger vision, and that bigger vision really is in the reduction of the burden of disease. We have over 100 projects that we deploy across the system focused in these areas to help identify patients where we can impact the mortality. Another example of one is we do approximately 26,000 deliveries a year. Moms come in when they're pregnant, getting ready to deliver, and they put monitors on to monitor the baby. There are signals in those fetal heart rate tracings that can indicate when a baby may not be getting enough oxygen. And the obstetricians and the doctors know and have a series of protocols in place of what to do when that occurs. But the sheer volume of data coming in is so large and so massive that we've now implementing an AI system that's reading and looking at those fetal heart rate tracings to be able to prompt the doctor to say, we think that this patient may be experiencing some type of hypoxia, meaning not enough oxygen, to be able to identify those babies faster so that we can be able to intervene to fundamentally save their lives. And it's that type of transformation that I'd love to see us happen in cardiac, in breast cancer, in you know neonatal situations where there's hypoxia. That reduction of the burden of disease will be fundamentally transformational. I'm very curious to hear your your perspective on communicating the role of artificial intelligence to, say, board members, for example. How do you approach the challenge of talking about such a nuanced and complex topic in order to get buy-in from an organizational level? It's a great question. Facts are critical. But the story is what's very convincing. And you hear me on this call walking through very specific patient examples of how it can be applied. If you look at technology adoption and look at productivity, healthcare is one of the least productive fields in the country, if not the world. And the reason for that is the adoption of technology. And I think we need to approach AI in talking through what are the people, what is the process, and then what is the technology. I don't think leading with AI is a start. 
Otherwise, we're leading and trying to find a problem. We need to highlight what is the problem we're trying to solve and how can technology help support solving that problem. And if we start there and we're clear about the communication and we use concrete patient examples, I think it makes a lot more sense. Absolutely, Peter. I'm curious, what role do robotics play in your healthcare system at the moment? I remember being fascinated with documentaries in the healthcare industry about how robotics were transforming healthcare. So there's two types of robotics we look at. We look at physical and we look at virtual. I'll start first with physical. We've been able to implement robotics in various areas throughout our hospital. We have rooms the size of let's say 20 foot by 20 foot by 20. And there's massive large robots that do all of our pharmacy pill picking, individual pills from orders that are placed with a massive robot that runs 24 seven. And then what we call box picking, which is our ointments and our creams and non-pill medications. Two robots run 24 seven. We've been using them for about six years now. And it's been transformational because what it's allowed us to do is have some of the technicians that were normally in these large rooms, primarily in basements, and now move them to the bedside. So now they are the teams of embedded care team members that are now interacting with the patients because we now have robots that can be able to do it. And we now have those team members interviewing patients, talking to them about their medications, talking to them about their side effects. We've done this in other areas. We have physical robots that deliver food to patients. They call elevators, they go up and down elevators, they deliver linens, they deliver medical devices, and we've found them to work very well. There's also another area which you don't hear talked about as much, but there's virtual robots, things we call robotic process automation. That has also served us well. And those are highly repetitive tasks that are occurring on a computer. So we have thousands and thousands of tasks that occur the same way every day. And how do we automate that using a virtual robot like when a patient gives us an insurance card, we have team members that need to go out to a website and validate that insurance card to make sure it's correct and do that process. We can now do that with a high throughput, high volume RPA process and do it in a virtual way. So once again, we can get more people to the bedside from a care team perspective. Before I could let Peter go, I needed to ask him a couple more things. Is there a particular technology that really made an incredible first impression on you, whether in your profession or in your personal life? I have to say, and I don't mean to bring up a recent technology, but I can't emphasize enough how ChatGPT will fundamentally transform education information throughout our world. I saw it for the first time. And the method by which it's being utilized, the distribution, and the power and potential of that technology is going to be fundamentally transformative for us over the next 10 years. And that was probably one of the most impressive things I've seen since the advancements that have occurred in early 2010 and other areas. What advice would you give to other tech leaders in the healthcare space? 
as my prior boss uh, used to mention, it's all about people, process, and technology. And I think it's some of the best advice. It is all about people. The technology works. The technology's worked in every industry. It's all about adoption. It's all about working with the providers, working with the care team members, and working with the patients to drive adoption. And that's critical for us as healthcare leaders. And as we see that adoption accelerate, we're going to see productivity accelerate. We're going to see more patients taken care of. We're going to see less mortality. We're going to see better outcomes. And I think that is truly the exciting part of where we're going to go with the digital transformation. Peter, thank you so much for joining the show. I really appreciate it. This has been a fantastic conversation. Jonathan, I can't thank you enough for having me on today. Peter's deep background in medicine and patient care clearly play a pivotal role in his leadership strategy. And leadership decisions take on a new meaning when the outcome of those decisions has an undeniably critical impact on patients and caregivers alike. I was struck by how advanced technologies that will change healthcare are built on the foundation of connectivity. It wasn't that long ago that the tools doctors and nurses had at their disposal were limited that healthcare professionals took all notes by hand, and those notes had to be entered into medical records that weren't always easy to share or access quickly. But digitization and connectivity have created opportunities to change all that, and the thought of 5G enabling high-tech medical processes is really exciting. Reducing the amount of time spent sending large image files across a network can literally save a life. Be sure to join us for more episodes of The Restless Ones. We'll be talking with more incredible leaders about their approach to leveraging technology and how this tech creates opportunities even in places we never thought to look before. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Strickland, and this is The Restless Ones.